Access more. It's about time because we're going there. Matthew Ray Oltoff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's so good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It feels awkward because not only are we sitting across from each other in this interview in our house, but what are what are we both dressed as today? Well, it's Halloween, so I am going as Prison Mike, and you are going as Dwight Schrute. Yes. So, for those not familiar with the uh, totally inappropriate show of the early two thousands, The Office, Matthew is dressed as Michael Scott, but this one episode <laughs> is Prison Mike. So, my husband is sitting across from me with a purple bandana on his head, and I have gold rimmed aviators and a bow tie and a Casio watch because I'm dressed as Dwight Schrute. Today, we are an odd couple dressed for Halloween, but we're talking about something that is near and dear to both of our hearts because I feel like we're pioneering something new and we get to talk about co-leading and not just co-leading from like maybe a business perspective or an entrepreneurial perspective, but we're co-leading as spouses. Yeah. And so, so much of your background has been in developing leaders and pouring into leaders and learning great leadership tools and tactics from so many amazing thought leaders. But for those that are listening to the show, I want to take it from like a 30,000 foot view of what co-leading, co-living, co-loving all at the same time looks like for us as a married couple. And I just want to give you permission for saying this now. I didn't tell you this while it wasn't recording because this is going to hold me accountable. I want you to feel at liberty. I'm scared to even say this. I want you to feel at liberty to be honest, even if it paints me in a bad light or we have like a conversation where we talk about like an argument or something, because I really do want to get into the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty. So you're is hearing- this part of the interview? This is this is going to be on the interview. <laughs> this yes. Is, that's okay. All yes. Right, so it's accountability. But let's start off at the 30,000 foot view and then kind of go down and talk with the only lens and filter that we know about co-leadership, which yeah. is- our own journey. So before we begin, how would you define leading? I think the token definition of leading is is influence. Where are you influencing people, right? And so, um, or where are you influencing the organization? And so I think that's part of what we've had to wrestle with, even in terms of the church and the organization is where, what, what lanes are we influencing in, right? And so where do we use this influence for this? Or where do we use this influence in this lane or that lane? And, and how, do we, how do we create clarity around that? So if leading is influence and we're co-leading, how do you define co-leading? Well, it's two people or multiple people that are, are influencing an organization, right? And so I think, to me, I guess the two most important things, when you have multiple people that are leading, I think, and we've learned this, uh, year one, we did not learn this. <laughs> year two, <laughs> We're going to get year, into year, that in a year, second. <laughs> year two, we finally learned this, but I think there's really two things. And to me, it's clarity, extreme clarity, and extreme trust. In, mm. in other words, defining where you're influencing and when you influence, how do I play in that, that lane that you're running in? And where am I influencing? And how do you play in that lane that, that I'm running in? Yeah. And so when there's clarity in that, I think that was a game changer for us in terms of co-leading. Because otherwise, you're just running over people's lanes and into boxes and different things that, that make it challenging to co-lead. So we have been co-leading the Father's House Orange County for four years. And we said from the beginning, I I now say we said from the beginning, but let's just be really honest here. You said in the beginning that we were (laughs) going to do this together. And I have never seen a paradigm of co-leading. I've never seen this done. So I grew up in an environment where my mom was a stay-at-home mom, homeschool mom of five. I loved her role. I love how she led within the home. And my dad led outside of the home. He led within ministry. Now we kind of uh, pioneered a different type of paradigm. And so for somebody who is not familiar with us co-leading, specifically in the realm of church, how would you describe, how would you articulate to someone who isn't familiar with our model of ministry, how we lead and why? 
Well, I think, I think even going back to like co-leading and like why co-leading, why do we want to do this? I think part of it is every leader has a tendency to only attract people that are like them. And when you only attract people that are like them, you lose out on the, the, the dynamics and the uniqueness and the, just the, the flourishing of having multiple personalities in the room, multiple ways that people think differently. And so you get, you get this more dynamic. It's harder, for sure. I mean, for sure, it's harder, right? Like, like we refer I don't to know us, what you're talking about. Yeah, we refer to ourselves as chips and salsa. She's the salsa, hot salsa, and I'm the salty chip, you know? But it's like, if you just have one personality driving something, it, it really takes the shape and form of that one personality, honestly. Like, but if you have multiple personalities that are multiple leaders that are leading you have this, this richness. I mean, and, and when I say chips and salsa, it's like, I'm not you, right? And so I can never, I can never mimic to be you. But if, I'm, if I am okay with you leading and your giftedness and who you are, and I can help that flourish, then the organization can be that much more dynamic. Yeah, we're going to get into that. But I love that we're kind of getting like hints to some of the beauty and also complication behind co-leading. Uh, but one of the things that is like really interesting to me is, Maybe actually, let's start there. When we said that we were going to start the church, um, an organization, an organism, as I like to call it, rather than organization, this organism that has like developed, you were adamant about me doing this with you. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So take for, I mean, in a nutshell, quick, because I do have some questions I want to unpack with you, but why did you want to do this with me? And why did you think that we would be better doing it together rather than as an, as an individual. Well, I think that's, and I think that's where you get, like you have clarity and you have trust, right? So that's part of like what you get in terms of helping people co-lead. But I think at the same time, it's, it's also a humility to say, I'm actually not that great on my own. Mm. And for somebody <laughs> else to come alongside you, especially with your giftings and who you are, like I'm, I'm not, I don't have the same giftings that you do, but you've got this incredible, uh, you're a communicator, you've got vision, you've got this kind of, you know, you attract different kinds of people where, you know, I can create structure and I can create systems, but you put it together and you almost have like a superhero, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, you put it together, it's like, wow, this is a wow, really, this, this is, is amazing. A, this amazing yeah. person, right? If you can figure out how to coexist in leadership. But I think that's really what, what I saw is going, I, you know, I, I just have never been that guy that's been, um, you know, I just, I want to lead and I want everything for myself. I've always been the person that said, how do I attract other people around me that are so drastically different, that, that think differently, that actually makes me a better leader and I get to empower them to lead. And so I think even as we're talking about you and I co-leading the church, I never wanted to do this on my own. I always wanted to go, how can I, how can I, ele even especially, well, that's a whole other issue with women in leadership and pastoring yeah. in the church, but <laughs> how can I elevate you uh, in a place where maybe you, you've always been knocked down and create a space for you, and yet we can coexist together and use the, the uniqueness of who we are to lead the church. I love that. I love that. And I, before we even continue on, I think it's worthy of saying, we're not saying that our model is the best or the only way. Right. Uh, and I would say there's a lot of people that, if you're talking about church, there's a lot of couples that come to us and they'll say, hey, we want to co-lead the church. And I say, are you really co-leading the church? Like, do you have equal influence and, and how are you both holding the weight in different ways? Because a lot of times they'll say, yeah, we're going to do this together. But the, the wife, oftentimes it's the wife, has a lesser role than the husband who's the main teacher. He's the main decision maker. He's the visionary, main nurse, visionary. Budgeter. Uh, yeah. and, and that's just not how you and I have operated ever. So. No. And I, I, love, I love how you really put language around co-influence. So if leadership is influence and it's co-leadership, you have mentioned um, that there, for name and optics – 
a couple can say, we are doing this together. But really behind the scenes, it's not. We're going to lift the hood today on this episode and talk about what we are each responsible for, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses. And so what are some of the benefits to co-leading? And the reason why I ask you this, you kind of alluded to a little bit, but according to Atlas Leadership Management, they listed that there are four benefits to co-leading. So any nerdy note taker out there, I, I'm, I'm going to say this slow, and then you and I, we're going we're to weigh in and we're going to agree or disagree. We're going to talk about benefits. We're going to talk about some of the pitfalls and then some of the things that we've learned. So here are four benefits of co-leading, smarter solutions, faster progress, better decision-making, and a collaborative culture. Those are pretty significant wins and pros. And I want to make sure that we're pulling this not just within like church ministry, but we're talking about business. We're talking about even in the home because what we modeled in our home really took shape before there was ever a church. Like I walked in and I, you didn't want a mother. You didn't need me to like, you know, do your laundry and do some of the- well, you tried one time. But I, okay, oh my gosh. Oh my, you know, you, like, you, you opened you, that you ruined, can. You ruined like a shirt and then you never did laundry again. Okay, so. okay. So this one time I threw in his red Bayern Munich jersey into a load of white laundry and then turned everything pink. And ever since then, friends, ever since then, he's not allowed me to do his laundry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Breaking social norms since 2010. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so if there are four benefits, smarter solutions, faster progress, better decision-making, collaborative culture, do you agree or disagree about creating smarter solutions? Yeah, again, I go back to those things. I think they're foundational, honestly, is that you have, if you have clarity and you have trust, then you're trusting people making those decisions. So for example, we're talking church world and we're talking decisions. Um, how you make decisions is very different than me. Yes. And I, and I tend to make decisions very logically and you probably make them a little bit more- Emotionally. Uh, emotionally, yeah. Yeah, I'm a feeler, and so, totally. So I've learned to go, I, I can't make you make a decision the way I would make a decision but I can leverage the way you make a decision to go give you enough time. How do you feel? Here's the logistics. Here's what it's going to do. And I actually create that space where you can be fully you and I can be fully me. And I'm not frustrated by you being you. It's leveraging people. And that's where the clarity and the trust comes in, where you can leverage people in the group to go, hey, this is how we're moving forward. You know what I love even about that is that at four years in, and 12 years married, but four years in specifically to co-leading and having co-influence is that, yes, I am d definitely more of the emotive one and the emotional decision maker in our marriage. But because I, if I have a feeling, I now can take this feeling or this emotion and I don't know what to do with it. So I look to you, who's a little bit more analytical, a little bit more structured, a little bit more strategic. And together, I say this jokingly, and I hope no one takes this as disparaging, but it's like two dimwits coming <laughs> together to form one great brain. So it's working. It's working. So um, one of the things that I want to add to the Smarter Solutions is we picked up this nomenclature somewhere and we implement it when we can, where we can, and how we can. But it's, we gather and it's almost like the best idea wins. Yeah. And I, it's, it's not always easy because everyone comes to the table thinking that they have the best idea. And one of the things that we'll expand in a little bit is that this idea of co-leadership has kind of morphed into all of our teams now. So it's not just you and I, we have actually created a directional leadership team. So there's six people that have influence in different areas of the church. I just had a, a meeting, a three month check-in with the creative director for the father's house. And I had asked her who's on your DLT, who's on your direct leadership team. So this idea of shared responsibility, shared influence, and co-leadership is something that we're infiltrating across the board. But um, were you going to say something else about Smarter Solutions? Okay, great. No, great. No, go for it. So I think that more people um, can come with ideas and we can dream together, lead together, and the best idea wins. Okay, faster progress. This was an interesting one for me. Do you agree or disagree with faster progress in regards to co-leadership? 
Um, I, I think in the beginning it was not. <laughs> so <laughs> Actually, why don't we start? Yeah, let's give a little bit of context yeah. to year one and how yeah. much things have evolved and shifted. And, and I think year one was for us going, we're co-leaders, so we have to have, we have to have an opinion about everything and in every lane <laughs> and every, every idea, every vision. And um, we would weigh in and what it would do is it would slow down the process yeah. versus speed up the process. Yeah. And I think now when I think we worked with like a coach and a consultant, but shout out Dr. Karen, Dr. Karen, yes, Karen was, Karen was in the house. So, um, <laughs> so she would, she would kind of help us clarify, here's your lane. So now uh, you have a lane, you're mostly creative, you're teaching series, you're kind of, you know, different things that you do. And I don't get involved in that lane. And in fact, I don't want to be okay, involved. Okay, but I don't year, one, be involved. Year, year one, year one, I did. Let's talk. I think. I think. Like, let's let's spend a little bit more time, kind of unpacking year one because we came in like everything's 50-50. We're yeah, doing this yep, together. Yep. Awesome. Amen. And there was no lanes. There was no boundary lines. Yep. And so I, I I, theoretically was overseeing creative and communication and social media, and you were overseeing uh, development and leadership implementation and contracts and budgets. But I had an opinion on where we were spending the budget, and you had an opinion on what was going on social media. It was a cluster. Yeah. Yes. So then we meet with Dr. Karen, and we came to her really frustrated, if I'm honest with you. Well, it, not wanting to even do co-leadership. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we're like, no, that's you lead. And then Actually, you're like, you're like I'll quit. I'll lead. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's one of my questions. Yeah. Let's go there. What was the worst part in our four years of co-leading this organization, this organism? I, th- I, I don't know which. I mean, I can think of one specific one. We were talking about a, a, a certain strategy and I was like, I guess that's the hardest thing is because I sometimes. <laughs> Wait, do you remember what the strategy was? One was community groups and one was the second service. <gasps> And you like you know you what? Like that's dug, actually in my notes. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back. You dug my your heels in, and like yeah. I said, no, I think we have to. Okay, we'll save that juicy tidbit yeah. for later. Yeah. But yeah. I, won't, I won't say what happened Thank when you. I when Thank I when you. I <laughs> my idea won, but that's okay. But anyway, but uh, but no, I I think it's like and and again, what was challenging is that's my lane, right? So yeah. my lane was like, hey, here's our here's our strategy, here's our programs, um, here's how we're going to implement this, and I'm going, we have to do this, we have to do this, and when you you're not necessarily an opinion, but it was like a, an attitude of, I don't care about those things. You know what? Okay. In, so influence that kind of stuff. 100%. You know? So this, I was going to save this for later because it was actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I want to, I want to sit here because these four things that um, Atlas Leadership mentioned would have been language that we actually articulate about the benefit of co-leading. So um, I'm glad that really smart people support what we believe, <laughs> but I, I want to uh, kind of unpack this a little bit because where we get to smarter solutions and faster progress and better decision-making and collaborative culture is because we failed at really identifying what our lanes were. So let's go there. So it's year one. Matt was insisting that we do community groups. Um, in church culture, anything that's like midweek that's in a smaller group, you might call them connect groups, small groups, crews. Uh, in our culture, we call them community groups. We do not call them life groups because we don't want people to do life with Nobody a whack group. Nobody wants to be group. in a group for life. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I hate saying that, but this is real talk from pastors. Right, so we call ours community group. And he was absolutely adamant about starting community groups. And I just was a little bit shell-shocked and suffering PTSD from some really whack community groups. So I was like, no, we don't need to do it. We don't need to do it right now. And then his strategy about implementing community groups was that it was so key and part and parcel of the ministry. But I was like, no, there's greater emphasis on the Sunday morning experience. There's greater emphasis on the Sunday morning experience. And so between the community groups, me being really reticent and really saying like, no, I have a voice here too. I'm saying no, realizing that wasn't my lane. You were, you, what we've discovered, you know, at at that point, a year, year and a half in was that you are way better at strategy. You are way better at implementation. And just because I didn't want a sense of community doesn't mean that that's where the church was doing. So I think one of the things that we learned in Smarter Solutions and Faster Progress is saying, what is the other person saying that I'm not seeing? 
And having that third-party moderator, aka Dr. Karen, really point out what our strengths and weaknesses were was super helpful. So, um, well, I can make yeah, a comment? please. I think even in that, like in this, you get to like when you're co-leading, and I think we learned. I think from that example is that if we aren't on the same page, even if we disagree, going into a meeting. And you disagree, Ooh, and Jesus. you and you disagree with, mm, which is what mm, happened. Mm. Is we were in like a leadership meeting. This is our leadership team, <laughs> and I'm going, "Hey, we need to do these programs." And you're like, "And you and like it, whatever whatever trauma you experienced from community groups in the past, your face clearly showed it in the meeting." And I can't every, hide every, my I know, I Everybody can't. saw it. So like everybody's like. You know, we're like voting. Should we do it? No, nobody wants to do it. And I'm like, we have to. And now it's- it Literally, there was like, I think there was like seven people yeah. around the table. Yeah, yeah. And I realized as a atmosphere shifter, I realized how much I can turn the room. Yep. And I basically, what I didn't realize is that I was sabotaging the room against this decision. And everyone, I don't want to say everyone, but a large group of people that have been in church for a while, you know, community groups are hard. It's hard work. And sometimes if the group stinks, it makes you reticent to doing it again. Yeah. So, but we were taking- our past trauma and our burnout and our exhaustion and putting that ahead of what was better for the church. Now, four years in, like you just mentioned, it's one of the strongest things that we do. Yeah. Our community groups are around the world from the UK. Shout out Rosa Trout for leading a community group in person in the UK to our European group, to our East Coast group. Texas. There's, Texas, yeah, there's, groups, Jersey, yeah. there's groups in almost every time zone. So I, I, I stand down and I say better decision-making was a byproduct of co-leadership. One of the language that we've kind of adapted is, and it's been refined, I would say that it's on its second iteration, but we started having language where internally, not externally, internally would say that you are the head and I'm the heart. And that doesn't mean that I don't think or I don't have a mind. And it doesn't mean that you're soulless and callous. It just well, I, You means, know, I cry every time I teach. So, like, I, But that uh, is so weird. You guys, you guys, I've known my husband for 14 years. And <laughs> I think prior, prior to church planning, I, I can count on one hand the amount of times that he cried. And it's three, three times. One of them was on our wedding. One when you were almost dying of an asthma attack. And one you were proud of Parker. Like literally, that was the three times that I've seen you cry. Then you start church planning and now you're like a weepy willow. The things <laughs> of God just make him cry every time he preaches. It's hilarious and not hilarious. So the second iteration of decision-making for us is, and this is a shout out to uh, Coco from church. She said that you're a leader and I'm more of a feeder. And that has been really seminal and pivotal in our leadership. It doesn't mean that I can't lead. It doesn't mean that you don't feed. It just means you are stronger at casting vision. You are stronger at implementing systems for our team to grow. And I'm super passionate about soul development, heart care, falling in love with God. Okay. So this was my next question. What was the hardest thing about co-leading? Uh, but I think we already kind of discussed. Okay, we kind of did that. We yeah. discussed that one. We're telling on ourselves today. Okay, so I wanted to get all the hard stuff and good stuff out of the way. But what are some of the pitfalls of co-leadership? According to Forbes, there are four main pitfalls: varying skill sets, increased confusion, slower decisions, and potential for disagreement. And so I want to talk about that because. Everything that they listed, I think that we've seen in our like yeah. co-leading yeah. and co-leading struggles. So varying skill sets where you walk in and you don't know each other's skills, you don't know each other's strengths. And so there's expectations that go unmet. When we started the church, we both said 50-50, you're teaching 50%, I'm teaching 50%, all decisions are 50-50. But then we started developing and realizing, oh, wait, we're actually skilled in different things. You were the one that called me. I think because I never had seen a female communicator take such a strong lead. I mean, I mean, I saw like 
women communicators on Mother's Day or women communicators on Thanksgiving weekend because no one goes to church that weekend. But to see a woman who is literally carrying 50% of the teaching load was unheard of. But what we realized is that was life-giving to me. I was called to that. I was anointed for that. And so what exhausted you actually gave me life. And then what I realized is I hated budgets. I hated strategy. Good God, I hated planning. Managing people. Managing. (laughs) Oh, God. Right? But you actually love that. So can you unpack a little bit about um, identifying skill sets? So maybe there's a husband and a wife out there or even just two friends that are in business together because we are married, but there are people that are co-leading in business or in organizations or in nonprofits or in churches. What were some of the varying skill sets uh, that were pitfalls for us? Yeah, no, I, I think you go back to, we said this before, is you know it's really co-influence, right? So if, if the influence is unbalanced, then you're really not co-leading. Mm. What makes it imbalanced? Uh, you can look at somebody else's skill set and go, well, that, that skill set is, you don't value that skill set. And if you don't value that skill set, then it doesn't allow you to, to balance and lead co-influence together equally, right? Yeah. So you go like, oh, this, what this person does is insignificant. They're, the, they're behind the scenes, they're the budget, they're doing all this stuff. But like, if you don't have that person, yeah. that you can't actually run an organization. So if you don't place a value on that, on that skill set, because you can't do that skill set, then, then all of a sudden there's not this co-influence in the midst of that. And I think a lot of times what happens is people value different skill sets over others and realize that they're both needed equally to lead an organization. And so, and I think for you, especially, and this is where I would get into like co-influencing is one of the things I've had to do is that because you're the primary communicator, like probably 50% of the time you're communicating. Yeah. Two to three weekends out of the month I'm, I'm, I'm teaching. So I have to, I actually have to work harder to communicate to the, the community and to the organization that I have co-influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I have to show up in different ways, whether it's what's on stage once a, once a month, whether it's overseeing the staff, whether it's you know leading a class on these kinds of things. And so now what's, what's really interesting is that even though you're more, you're, you're communicating more than I do, so you have more vision casting, Visual, you're more, yeah. you're more mm-hmm. upfront, you're visually the leader. It feels like people would recognize us in an equal way. 100%. Because we because we worked really hard at kind of creating that balance. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so this is one that I hate to admit, but so incredibly true. The second one, the first one is varying skill sets and identifying, you know, individual strengths. But the second one was increased confusion. This one, I would say 100%, the first year and a half of church was who reports to who, if there's a problem, who gets told, and whose vision or direction do we listen to? Without realizing it, uh, I think we had to work really hard at establishing what we now refer to as like direct reports. But increased confusion, I'll kind of I'll talk about the perspective of what like tensions we saw and frustrations that it probably <laughs> undoubtedly caused team was because we were 50-50 and we said from the beginning, hey, we're, in, we're doing this together, we're, we're leading together, we're deciding things together. It was, if Matt said, go left, and Bianca said, go right, who do we listen to? Yeah. And because we weren't connecting with like a solid weekly meeting or monthly meeting or quarterly meeting, sometimes we're running so fast. And as a church plant without a building, before, right before heading into COVID, like it was constant decision-making. And we're moving so fast. I didn't always have a time to touch point with you or you didn't have time to touch base with me. And so we're making these decisions. And then you and I on the back end would be like, well, who called that shot? And we would we would see, oh, wow, we're moving so fast and people don't know who to listen to or what decisions to take. Can you talk about how yeah. we've kind of rectified no, that? I think, I think for us it's been, uh, well, here's what I would call it is triangulation. Okay. 
So you have, anytime you have like a mom and a dad, you know, the kind of like two people that are co-leading that have different gift sets. Like, just think about this, you know, like in your family that you were raised, you would go to your mom and ask permission <laughs> for something differently than you go to your dad. Actually, it would flip because my mom was the strict one. That, well, so yeah. I would go either to either dad. Way, either way, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so like people come to me and they want to spend money and I'll say no because I know I'm going to say no. <laughs> and they go and they talk to you and they go, Bianca, this is going to look so beautiful. It's going to be amazing. You're like, yes. Absolutely. Whatever it costs. Jesus paid it all. And then I'm like, who the heck just spent this money, right? So like, the, you know, the team, when there's not clarity in that team, they get really good at triangulating the, the co-leaders. Yeah. And so that's where I think we've learned even now, like all the, everybody reports to me. All direct reports. But you have, yeah. you have and we actually we use something called. Um, Arky. Thank you, Arky. Dr. Karen, yeah. for this language. It's, A-R-C-I. Yeah. So, you know, who's accountable, who's responsible, who needs to be consulted and who needs to be informed. And so now you you can you can have a meeting with somebody. Hold on. That was really good. I want to give Karen props again. And can you say the A-R-C-I again? So A is accountable. R is responsible, C is consulted, I is informed. Yeah. And so now what's great is that you can actually, you can you can have a meeting with somebody that's one of my direct reports and go, this is a meeting where you're consulting. 100%. With I'm not responsible. Anything I tell you, 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 you have to, you have to, check, you have to go back to Matt yep. and, you know, hey, yep. this is what you have to follow up with. So we have language around how to navigate that kind of, you know, pitfall. I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, two more, and we'll go through these quickly. Slower decisions, as in, I think some of the language that we've used is there's too many chefs in the kitchen. And as our church has grown, our staff has grown. And so when we first started, it was literally Abraham Lincoln, I believe, had a team that they referred to as the team of rivals, where there were so many people from different perspectives, and it was one of the greatest political cabinets in U.S. history because so many people were diverse and had different opinions and even opposing opinions. But by representing even opposing opinions, it represented the swath of the people of America. We wanted to lead the church like that. Well, what happens is there's almost too many people at the table now and too many chefs in the kitchen. And so we now have developed even a tighter team, and we refer to that as the DLT, the Directional Leadership Team. Moving forward, co-leadership isn't just between us, but it's a model that we carry to our team. So how did we remedy slower decision-making? Well, we tightened up who are the decision-makers and making sure that it felt like a, a representation of like the church and staff. But it's, but it's, also, it's also empowering the team to make decisions. Right, like, you know, you know yeah, I mean? that's like, good. That's so great, like, yeah. you know, like we realized, I think about a year, year or two ago that we were bottlenecks, you know? And so we're, we're the ones making all the decisions and everybody, everybody had a, maybe we, we didn't make all the decisions, but everybody had a, uh, a, a, mental, mindset. a mindset yeah. that we, we, had, had we had to weigh to. in. Yeah. And so yeah. like, you know, like our, my executive director, like budget, HR, whatever, decision, whatever decisions he wants to make, like, like, and he's like, do you want to know about this? I'm like, nope, I totally trust you. And like, now I'm like, do we have money for it? Okay, great. Has it been approved? Okay, great. I don't need to know anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so this one is a great place to kind of land the plane, but potentials for disagreement. I mean, we've been quite open and honest about how many disagreements that we had, not just privately, but embarrassingly around our dinner table as we're leading the team where you and I just didn't see eye to eye. And um, now, now we have the conversation before the conversation. Yeah. And this was, again, thanks to Dr. Karen for kind of like pushing us to say, if there's going to be hard conversations that are going to be addressed at the meeting, you guys have to have a conversation about it before you enter in the meeting. So now, even with our DLT, we have hard conversations, get clarity, and bring it to the team at large, and then the team distributes it to the church. So do you remember, um, I think when, this was our first, first year when we were realizing that, that we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we didn't want to necessarily take drama publicly, but so we had this language like, who's quarterback? Can yeah. you, you, you invented that kind of internal language for us, but maybe someone might find that helpful. Well, I actually have to go back to shout out to one of my old 
mentors, Kent and Beachshore, is he would always ask the question, whose meeting is it? Uh, uh, so if it's my meeting, then then I'm running the meeting. Uh, it's my agenda. It's what I want to see happen in this meeting. I'm trying to move the ball down the field. So if it's if it's my meeting, I think you go into a meeting, and if you don't know whose meeting it is, who's in charge of that meeting, who's running that meeting, then you have an opportunity where there's lots of disagreements. And I think I think even as you look at the different teams you have, I think one of the things that's really important too is that can you define what teams make what decisions? So for example, you and I might be in disagreement on something, right? So we'll go, we'll actually, we'll have a conversation before the conversation. We're disagree. We go, great. Here's our two options. Here's the positives and the negatives. So we don't present it as Bianca's view and Matt's view. Right. Oh yeah. We come and go, hey, here's the two, the two places that we can go. And this team has the ability to weigh in to help make that decision. So then it's not me against you. Yeah. It's, it's really helping to manage that situation of how we do that. So, and, and really what you're trying to do is you're, you're constructively thinking about Every, what everybody's bringing to the table in terms of ideas and decisions. So I can look at your decision and go, I see the, here's the value. We want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. The problem is it's going to cost this. It's going to cost this. Somebody's going to have to make a decision. I would say no. You would say yes. Yeah. It's worth the money being spent, right? So then we, then you bring that to the team and go, here, we have two options. What do you guys think? And people will weigh in on those. One of the things that I just kind of want to wrap up the pitfalls with is you can fight in the boardroom. But when you go outside of those doors, you are on the same team. Correct. That's correct. And so if we're using the model of best idea wins and your idea is a, a loss, you don't go to your team and tell them, well, it was not my idea, but we have to do... No, no, right. no, no, no. We are all for this. We are we co-sign on it. And and until it, until it doesn't work, we're going to make this work until it doesn't. So I think that's key. Like yeah. even if your idea gets shot down, it's not what everyone agrees with, you have got to be on the same team. Okay, lastly, lastly, for someone out there that maybe is dating somebody and they could see maybe doing a business together or starting a ministry together. Or, Pray about it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what would be something that you would encourage that spouse um, to explore this option? Like to co-lead? Yeah. What, what I would tell them is, is, is really, again, you go back to those principles of clarity, Go back to those principles of trust. Um, starting something together is always challenging, but it's actually recognizing the gifts that everybody brings to the table. Uh, one person isn't better than the other person. You can't do all of the things that you want to do. That's, I mean, that's the advantage of co-leading, right? Is that you get two unique personalities that come together to create something better. But if you don't value those things that are coming together, then you actually create division as you're leading that organization. So I really think that if, if there's a couple, especially because you have to define, hey, this is our work environment uh, and this is our personal lives, I, I think drawing some boundaries, we've actually had some boundaries too. It's like, do we talk about business now? And we're like, no. no. <laughs> you know, we are not talking about business at dinner. We're not going to talk about business here. We're like, we're going we're gonna to create that line so that there's structure and saying, here's when we talk about this and here's, when we talk, here's how we just be personal. Because otherwise you find out that your whole personal life becomes integrated into the business and you don't actually know each other. Yeah. I just want to say, um, well, also when you're referring to business, uh, before there was ever a church, Matt was the executive director for In the Name of Love for about, well, since its inception until the church started and you transitioned off. But it was um, an unpaid role, but one that was super appreciated. So we talk about business. This literally has been business, ministry, and home as well. So yeah. I just want to take a quick second and say thank you for your leadership. I don't always understand or agree, but one of the things that I have learned is to trust you. Well, thank you. You have really led our family 
and you have fought for faith in the kids when mo- moments, I'm gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. Jasmine's gonna get upset with me. <laughs> moments where I just really feel like their um, discovery of Jesus was getting really hard and I was losing faith. You just never gave up faith in them and it's matriculated into you never gave up faith in me. And you now haven't given up faith in the church, no matter how difficult it's been. So I wanna say thank you for your leadership and it's been a joy to lead with you. I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> thank you. 